Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. My guest today is Dr. Alice Penn. She's an expert international business and career consultant, coach, and keynote speaker. She works with her clients to help them realize their full potential and take their professional lives to the next level. In this conversation, she shares the message that you are not too old and it is not too late. She is an example of a woman who has grown through adversity and is leaning into life. If you are feeling stuck right now in where you are, or maybe you're toying with the idea of walking away from something that might be okay, it might even be great, but you know you could be more fulfilled and do more in life, this conversation is for you. Welcome, Dr. Penn. Hi, Lily. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited about this conversation as well, because last time we spoke, you said something to me that I've kind of been replaying in my mind and it stuck with me. And that was whether someone praises you or criticizes you, you are still you. Where did that realization and that belief come from for you? So for me, actually, a couple of years ago, I was at quite a low point in my life and I had been struggling a lot with some of my inter-family dynamics and I was after my divorce and I was trying to get back on my feet again and I was doing a bit of work with a coach and I'd also seen a therapist, but you know, I was in my early 40s, well, I think I was probably about 40 at the time, so it's quite a long time into life to learn this lesson, but it just dawned on me that I have spent so much of my life really enjoying praise and really enjoying validation. And then when I notice that if I get even slightly criticized or I don't get the praise, how different my mood is compared to when I am being praised. So I was really just looking at the big contrast between the two. And it started to dawn on me that actually, whether somebody doesn't matter what anybody says to you, you are still the same person. So because it dawned on me that some people will say something to you that is just their version of what they feel the truth is. And the very next day, the same person could say something completely different because their mood is different, because they're coming from a different place of the day. But yet I have not done anything differently. I am still the same person. And it's a sort of um, concept of, I guess, self-worth. We are all just born onto this planet. We are born with worth. And no matter what people are saying um, to you, whether they're saying you're doing an amazing job and you're wonderful, or whether they're saying, I don't really like that, you're still the same person. And, and for me, that's really helped free me up to take brave steps in my life and make some changes. Because as long as I know that I am sticking to my intentions, or I know sort of my core inner truth, it doesn't really matter whether I get praised or get criticized. Obviously, it's useful to get feedback. That's not the point. It's more just um, the, the amount of emphasis that you put on whether you're being praised or criticized, if that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. Um, it's like the saying, if you live by someone's compliments, you'll die by their insults. And I love what exactly. you said there about how someone, the same person could tell you one thing today and something else tomorrow. And if your worth is attached to what they say, 
like you're never going to be good enough. You're always going to be hanging on, hoping for a little bit more praise. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, even as simple as someone could say to you, gosh, Alice, your eyes are a lovely green. And I said, but they're not green, they're blue. But the very next day they could say something else. And actually my eyes are just the same color. So it was just as simple as just having that realization. Hang on a second. You know, it is nice to be praised. And of course, criticism is feedback that you can take on board. But I am still me. And, and that's kind of, yeah, just really freed me up to just um, try to live more as an authentic or wholehearted sort of version of myself rather than trying to seek praise in all my actions. I love that living more authentic and as yourself. And I know that coming to that point in life is always a journey, like for each and every one of us. Um, I don't know personally anyone who just in their early twenties realized that, you know, I should be authentic and go through life trusting myself. Like we all have something that pushed us into that growth. And so what was, would you say was the biggest thing for you maybe in the last couple of years or earlier in life that pushed you into a growth journey to exploring like self-worth? Look, I um, would say that I, when I got married, I was in my late twenties and I knew at the time that I was probably not getting married for the right reasons, but I didn't feel able to reverse out of it for various reasons, including the fact that my future husband at the time um, had an an addiction problem. And I felt that I could not abandon him at that time um, and that it would be selfish and the wrong thing to do. So, but it wasn't then when the work started to happen. It was only when, say, about 11 years later, and I'd been through quite a lot with my mental health and problems with my physical health around that time, where I really had to face letting go of the relationship. And that was a really big thing for me because not dissimilar to um, my background, having been a a clinical doctor for nearly 10 years before taking the step to make the change that I wanted to and and leave medicine. It's what I call a sunk cost fallacy where you're holding onto um, an idea of something um, that no longer serves you, but because you put so much time and energy and perhaps finances into it, you um, struggle to let go and move on and make a change. So for me, at the end of my marriage, I really had to accept just because I've been with this person for 11 years, I, I know that I need to make a change for my health, for his health, and, and to, to let go and move on. Very, very difficult decision because I, at the time, had been through a lot with my mental health and physical health, and I was in a bit of a precarious position. So it left me very, very vulnerable. I was alone in London. I had nowhere to really turn. I um, was financially under a lot of pressure. My family all lived in in Cape Town, South Africa. So I felt quite, actually quite frightened, quite scared and alone. And I made the decision to get back on an airplane with two suitcases. And, you know, I'd been in London for 15 years. So a whole life had built up there and just come back to South Africa. But in doing that, it was really like starting again. So I was just turned, I actually woke up, I turned 40 sleeping in my childhood bedroom. So that was a real high point for me in my life. So here (laughs) I am, you know, yeah, I've got like, you know, like a few degrees, a medical degree. I've had this, 
um, you know, fantastically, um, you know, a great job in, in finance. And all of a sudden, I'm turning 40 uh, in my childhood bedroom and living with my parents. So thinking to myself, how did my life get to this point? And I think the big thing for me was I just thought, you know, it feels like I've made a series of bad decisions, one after the next, that has just led me to this point. And it really made me have to stop and think, although some things have happened to me and um, that I wouldn't, you know, I didn't put my hand up to say, oh, I really would love for this for the, to have to go through this. Uh, it, it is the path that I took. It was my journey. So even though I might have been through different traumas or experiences that, that um, led me to that point, the common denominator is that I was there on that, that journey and that path. And I did make certain decisions along the way. So I think what I'm getting to is this real rock bottom that I reached around that time that made me think no one is coming to save me. Um, I actually have to start doing something different. I actually have to start thinking differently, feeling differently and acting differently. I have to stop thinking everything that I, um, I stop believing that everything I think is actually true. Um, so I'd always been into self-development till that point, but I think it was really the push then to say, okay, you're now 40 and you really need to look at how you're leading your life and where you want to end up. So that's where the process really began for me. I want to explore what you said about the sunk cost fallacy, I believe is what you said, because I think that is something that I know has held me back and holds a lot of people back in life. When you feel like I've gone down this road so far I've invested so much of myself, my time, my finances into something. It's hard to let that go. I almost think of it. It's like, maybe you made a poor decision and it's like, I'll continue to make this poor decision because of how much I have invested in that. Exactly. What do you say to someone that was in that position that you were in where it's like, maybe it's a relationship that is unhealthy. You know, you said, with someone that's struggling with addiction, or I know you went from a medical career to pivoting into a finance career. And a lot of people would be, even if they were not enjoying the medical career, would be terrified to walk away from, again, how much they had invested in that. Yeah. So, yes. So I, I went through this, but so what I would, what I actually, in my work, I meet a lot of people in this position. So almost every day I'll speak to somebody who'll say, I've been in the same job for nine years, 10 years, 15 years. I know I shouldn't be here. I should be doing something else, but I don't know what. And so I always, I always actually say to them, look, when I started medicine, I was, I first day of medical school, I was 17. I think I decided to do medicine when I was 16. Now, how, how you can then therefore at the age of 30, think that a decision you made when you were 16 might still be relevant to you. You know, you're allowed to, I, I say to people, you know, you have to give yourself the permission to say the decision that I made 10 years ago, five years ago, even a year ago, I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed, I'm I'm a different person. I've grown and, you know, I'm allowed, you have sometimes have to just give yourself and I sometimes in my work, just give people the permission. You know, you can change. You actually don't have to carry on. Now, what I, um, what I do also use is the analogy of a bad financial investment. So if you continue to put every month good money after bad, 
what will happen is you know that your investment is never going to reap the benefits that you're hoping for and that you're going to lose that money. And you know you're still going to need to reinvest again. So I try to sort of show that to people. So like in medicine, every year, my family would say, just do one more year, just do one more year, you know, thinking that something is going to change. But if, if nothing is changing like a bad investment and you keep putting good money in after bad, eventually you are going to have to start again. So you might as well start sooner rather than 10 or 15 years down the line. Yes, that's, that's kind of how I work through it with people. Yeah, because how much time do people spend, again, like you said, one more year in medicine, you know, one more year in this career, I'm going to give this relationship this much more time, even when it's that deep knowing that this isn't good for me and I'm not thriving in this. And I think, I think one of the things that really helped me and I always try and, and talk to people about is stopping and asking yourself, do you want to be doing the same thing or feeling the same way or being in the same position in, say, 10 years' time? So with medicine, when I was about 30, I thought, would I be doing this when I was 60? And I just thought it, nothing, it filled me with dread, the whole notion that I could be doing the same thing. So that was a sign I'm going to have to change uh, because I don't want to do the same thing. The same thing is in a relationship. If nothing is changing and you've tried all the different sort of techniques, you know, there does come a point, which I had to do, I had to say, I, do I want to be having the same discussion in another 10 years time? And frankly, I just really didn't. Uh, so I think that I try and, and talk about this notion of your future self. So future Alice, future Lily, what are you picturing that you would be like in your ideal world in 10 years time and does that future Alice or future Lily would they make the decision to stay in that job or stay in that relationship or would they actually say you know I know future me is successful and autonomous and whatever your your vision is and I respect and future you respects themselves and actually no they they are going to make a different choice so I think it is about from the neuroscience point of view shifting the way you're thinking about yourself, about your life, your perspective of how you're fitting into the world and thinking about your future identity and the future you and what decisions future you would actually make as a way of trying to sort of unstick yourself from thinking one more year, one more month, you know, that kind of kind of thinking pattern, which at the end of the day, you're continuing to do something that no longer serves you if nothing changes, nothing changes, you will just keep getting the same results. And that can just be hard to face. Um, yeah, so it's a difficult one for people, but something I do try and guide them through. No, that's a great exercise. I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, visualize what you want your life to look like. But I think that's so helpful. Like, I visualize your life the way it is now, but 10 years from now doing the same thing. And yeah. I think that's a very sobering thing to think about. Like, are you content? Are you fulfilled if nothing changes? Yeah. I, think I actually there's... got, I was just going to, there's a story I always share about this future identity, uh, which actually goes back to Viktor Frankl in World War II. I'm sure you've read this book, Man's Search for Meaning, but he established in when he was, you know, he survived four different concentration camps. But one of the reasons he survived is because he was a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, a neurologist. He witnessed people, unfortunately, of course, dying around him. And he worked out quite quickly, or he worked out in his time, 
who would make it and who wouldn't. And his theory was that if you had a very clear vision of what your future self were to, was to be like, then you, um, it would really guide your actions in the now. So for him, he, he had lost his entire family, his wife, everybody had, had died around him. And the one thing that he had left was a manuscript that he was writing. The guards found it and destroyed it and it nearly destroyed him. But he made that choice in the moment that future Viktor Frankl has published a book. He sold it. He, and he lived in the way of that future person and everything he did every day was no, because that is what I'm doing. And it's, it's kind of, it changed the way he was thinking and, and, and changed his actions as far as he could. So I think it's quite a nice one just to, just to, you know, to try and help people do the same thing in their own lives. Yeah. Visualizing the future that you want opposed yeah. to, you know, settling for kind of the future that or the current circumstances you're stuck with. I know that it is more difficult when you're having to visualize and remove yourself from something when you feel like there's another person in the mix that's yeah. going to be affected by that. And you mentioned leaving a relationship where your husband was an addict, had an addiction. Do you mind speaking more to that? Because I know there's people listening who are in, if not the same, but similar situations where they want to make a change, but there's a lot of guilt and shame around walking away from someone that is hurting. Yeah. So I think the the story for me is that shortly before I got married, I'd always been aware that there was a problem, but I didn't realize the extent of it. Um, and shortly before I got married, my future husband at the time's mother passed away, and that really escalated his drinking and, and, and drug use. And I did try to confront it at the time. But as soon as somebody has, and other people who are maybe close to somebody with addiction may have experienced this, as soon as somebody does open up and tell you, yes, I do have a problem, well, you know, then this, what can happen, what happened to me was the sort of rescuer mentality. So about a little bit about me and my background, but as a child, I definitely was somebody who always felt I needed to please people, that I wasn't good enough unless I was performing and really doing well. So I sort of had a history with men that I was often with men who needed my help. I needed to be needed. It goes back to what you said at the beginning, this validation, this praise. So it created a situation where suddenly... So I felt I was doing the right thing. I was taking him to doctors. I was trying to help him sober up. I, you know, I tried everything I thought that I could at the time to, to help him. And that did make me feel needed. And I guess a little bit special, a little bit wanted, and maybe made me think that there was a false sense of closeness because we're battling this thing together. So I had quite a romantic notion that, you know, if I could fix him, then everything was going to be great. And, you know, my husband, he did sober up a while after we were married. Things got very, very bad. But a lot of damage had been done around employment and finances, etc. Um, and unfortunately, another, another lesson that I learned was I had gone at the beginning of, of, of discovering he was an addict to one of the 12-step programs for families. And the first meeting I went to, so Al-Anon is for families of alcoholics and it's, it's fantastic. And I went there, but the first meeting I went to, I just left in tears because I thought, 
because they advised you to not try and rescue or save and to let the person make their own decisions and not to try and cover up their drinking or enable them. But I just thought, oh, no, 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 I don't need this advice. I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to fix the situation. So, (laughs) and that was a huge mistake. So um, to anybody who is with somebody who has an addiction, I do recommend getting support from the community of people going through something similar, even if you feel, no, I, my husband or my partner isn't going to, or my sibling or whatever, isn't going to be like the people I'm hearing in the groups. Uh, Because what happened to me is that I lost myself entirely in that relationship. I developed what people call codependency. So as I was saying, I needed to be needed. I enjoy, I, I, I got something out of it. Um, and you know, it affected my, I ended up with really low self-esteem, really needing validation externally all of the time. And, um, you know, I, I neglected myself a lot during that time. So I had my own mental health challenges and those were just increasingly neglected. And I landed up in my own set of, of challenges and difficulties as the marriage went on. So I think the sort of needing to rescue others was was a big a big problem for me and as you say when you're letting go of the sunk cost fallacy if there's somebody at the other end um, you feel like you maybe need to stay in there for longer but the lesson is that you're not necessarily serving them by trying to protect them or rescue them and you're certainly not helping yourself so by the end of the marriage you're two people who are pretty broken and destroyed um, because you, you're not two autonomous people. You're two people sort of enmeshed with each other's difficulties and challenges. So, um, yeah, it was very hard to step away, but I certainly, um, you know, obviously hope and pray that it was the right decision for both of us and both people have been able to move on to a healthier, a healthier life, mental, physical health, etc. I love that you touched on that. I needed to be needed. I think, the wording of that is perfect because a lot of times it's easy for us to say in those kind of situations, like I'm doing this for them. It's all for them. But when we get really honest with ourselves, there is something validating about that. And there's kind of this dichotomy, this strange, like good feeling that comes with someone being kind of dependent on us. And like you said, it led to codependency within your relationship. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, it's, it's I don't mind being on, open about it now, but it took me a long time to be able to be honest with myself and say, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to fix something. I am getting something out of this situation. It's also becoming maybe a bit of an excuse for me in my own life. Um, not so much. I did, wasn't ever, didn't ever really feel like I'd made myself a victim, but certainly it was enough of a reason to say that's why I'm in this position or that's why this is happening to me. So again, when the marriage ended and I was finally on my own, that is also why that was the rock bottom because I suddenly didn't have anyone to save anyone to fix or anyone else to, to almost blame for where I was. It was like, right, you are on your own. Now you have to do something different and let's see what you're made of. And yeah, you really face yourself in those times. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't mind being honest now and saying, yeah, you you know, I did need to be needed. Um and that's okay. You know, I I learned from it, but you know, it's not an easy thing to admit, that's for sure. 
No, but it's, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And oftentimes walking away, like pulling out of that codependency and allowing the other person to also face all of their own like issues and things going on is empowering for them. And also it's, it's loving. It's a a very tough love, but it's, it's loving to allow someone. That's something I had to learn in life that it's okay. Not even just okay. It's good to let others feel like the entire realm of feelings. I struggled often with wanting to keep people happy. So they never had to be sad or stressed and realizing that I was robbing like people I was in a relationship with from like the full spectrum of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you've read the book, the untethered soul. Yes. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there he talks about letting the full emotion spectrum of emotions in and just, you know, really just feeling it, embracing it, and then it can pass through again. So if you are putting, like, I think he describes, you put a rock into a river um, a, a river that's flowing and those are your emotions just flowing freely. You put a rock in there. So you're trying to block it. So whether it's protecting someone else or protecting yourself from what you're feeling, it just creates more turbulence around, around the rock um, and slows the flow down. So yeah, I think, I think we, we not only do we sometimes are, are guilty of preventing other people from feeling the full experience, but, but ourselves mm-hmm. too, you know, to try and to move away from that feeling of, of whatever it is that's um, difficult to deal with, whether it's shame or, or grief or anxiety, etc. So, yeah, I like what you said there. It really resonates. So when you woke up in your childhood bedroom on your 40th birthday, <laughs> yeah. how did you get from that point, which you said earlier was the low point for you? You're like, you know, how did my life come to this, to where you are now and everything that you're building and creating now? Yeah, so I think it it touches on a, a few of the things that we've mentioned already. So the first thing is I had been, as I said, struggling a lot with my mental health, physically, physical health. I was not in a good shape. I was vulnerable and I was really, you know, quite frightened. But I was having lots of, you know, very repetitive, quite negative and dark thoughts at the time. And actually, this book, um, Untethered Soul, really changed my life because it made me realize at the age of 40, you don't have to believe everything that you think. You can start to observe how you're thinking. So I think I started to allow myself to feel more the spectrum of emotions and observe it and not be quite so frightened by what was coming up. Because in the past, I'd been very um, perfectionistic and just trying to keep everything perfect and controlled so that I wouldn't have to feel the feelings that I just couldn't deal with. So what I what I did was, once I realized that, okay, my thoughts are just thoughts and they're not reality, being, I think, having my medical background, I, you know, I'd had, I've had, had a lot of therapy, I'd done a lot of coaching, I'd spent, I'd read a million books, I'd, I'd had a lot of knowledge, but nothing was really shifting for me. And I'd started to learn a little bit more about neuroplasticity and, you know, I kind of turned to the science that I understood. And I think I knew this always intuitively that, Whatever you really choose to believe about something can have a really direct impact on on the outcome in your life. And I mean, there are now lots of studies around this showing that your mindset about something does have an impact on your brain and your body and your physiology. So this really appealed to me because I thought, hang on a second, 
if I can actually choose to think differently, if I can actually put some effort and focus into kind of rewiring my thoughts, perhaps I will get a different outcome. So, um, you know, I think Joe Dispenza says you need to almost form a new personality. So a new way of thinking and feeling and acting if you want a new personal reality, because with the same thoughts, the same emotions, the same feelings and actions on loop, you are back in that position of nothing changes, nothing changes, even if you really want it to change. And that's the difficulty. It's not that you don't want it to change. You're desperate for it to change, but yet it doesn't. So it was for me, it was that understanding that I can't, I can't necessarily have chosen what I went through or to a degree I obviously did, but I can choose to say right now at this moment in time, I can choose to think differently or I can choose to try to manage my thoughts in a way that is going to give me a different outcome in my life. Now, the next thing I learned about that is that it's very uncomfortable. So whenever you're trying to do something differently, I now understand the brain in its attempt to get you to conserve energy will do anything it can to prevent you from thinking differently, feeling differently, acting differently. So once I understood that, then I could say, okay, I have to choose to think differently. I know that's going to be painful, maybe even physically painful. It's going to be traumatic. It's not going to feel good. I'm not going to like it. It's like that raging river that you kind of got to get to the other side. So you have to overcome yourself. You have to overcome your self-doubt. You have to overcome what your brain and body are telling you. No, no, no. Go back to the old ways. So that was like the second step of just acknowledging it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be difficult, but taking into what we've already said, just allowing those feelings in. It's okay. Let the fear come in. Let the doubt come in because it passes again just as quickly. Like having those feelings isn't going to kill you. I sort of established that. And I think before I almost felt like I might not make it if <laughs> I feel that terrible. And then the next step was really this future identity, future self. A friend of mine had been through a very abusive and very unpleasant uh, marriage and divorce living in another country. She said to me how she started to live her life was to say, what does future, let's call her Jane, what does future Jane um, do in this situation? Or her take on it was, what does somebody who truly respects themselves do in this situation? So she started to be able to make different choices and make small changes and take action to change the outcome of her life. So I started to do that as well. So for me, I did do a lot of visualization around my kind of what I really wanted from my life. I got very specific and clear about it, but I started to every single day think I need to act today like that person that I know I'm on earth to be the fullest, you know, realizing my full potential, the, the real Alice, the one that I know was there, you know, as a little child, but still hasn't really come out. I need now, even if my mind is telling me no, and you're not good enough and you're not intelligent enough and you're never going to make it. I need to start acting like that person now. And I think what that did was it started to change my thoughts, firing up new thoughts, rewiring them, making those a little bit more habitual, not just the constant loop that I was in before. So it really does, I guess, come down to neuroscience. Um, but it was, it took, you know, discipline and daily work to start to make those changes. 
And at first you think it's not really doing anything, but you look back a month ago, three months ago, six months ago, and you realize these little changes do make a difference over time. So I think the message for me always to everybody is you're never too old. It's never too late. I mean, as I was at medical school, they told you your brain couldn't change, but that we know now is not true. So I always encourage people, you can, it's not easy, but you can change your perspective and your view on the world and how you see yourself in the world, if that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. And what you said um, of the visualization your friend also gave you or the question to ask yourself, I liked how you worded, what would someone who felt highly respected do in this situation? I've had a therapist say something similar to me before, and it was, Lily, you need to give yourself the same level of love and respect that you're giving to the other person in the situation. Exactly. Because if we did, or we think of ourselves that way, even if we might not identify with that person currently, it changes typically the decision we would make. Exactly. So it's the same as people would say, what would you tell your friend? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a similar sort of notion. James Clear in Atomic Habits, he says, every action you take today is either a vote for or against your future self. So you've got to choose to vote in a way that your future self is going to be say, thanks, Alice from the past. Good choice. <laughs> you know, so, so it is that perspective shift. And I think a lot of it is just about having the awareness to realize, okay, I'm caught in my own uh, loop of thinking that I'm struggling to break out of and having a little tip such as what is a person who really respects themselves? What would they do? Or what would your friend do? Or what would my future self do? What does my future self need me to do? Something like that, just to break that cycle and way of thinking um, to give you a little bit of perspective and, and clarity. And sometimes the decision is not the one that you really want to take, but you know that you kind of have to. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. Where can people find you if they, and also if you'll tell us a little bit about what your business is doing now. So I am on dralicepen.com is my website. I am most active at the moment on Instagram, which I am at Dr. Underscore Alice Penn. I'm trying to up my game and get onto TikTok, but we'll just say watch the space for now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And on my website, I've got, and I'm launching a YouTube channel soon. So there'll be all the links to that on my, on my website. Um, What I'm doing now is I am essentially a career or business coach and consultant. And the reason I say coach and consultant is having been through lots of coaching programs myself, I don't like the notion of just sitting and talking and spending a lot of money just to chat, you know, once a week or twice a month. So what I do is really help people uh, realize their full potential in their professional life, whether it's their career or their business. And for most people, it's about figuring out what it is that they really want to do to fulfill that potential and then also help them implement doing that. So some of my clients, it would be a decision to level up in their current career. Maybe it's looking for a promotion or a sidestep or change in their current role and position. Others, it's about looking for new opportunities, perhaps a radical career change like I did or or something different. And then there are others, and there are quite a few of them who are looking to now go on their own and start their own business. So I guess having walked those various journeys myself, um, 
I'm, you know, I'm kind of placed to be able to help people through that and actually really try and get results for them. And I think with my, with my medical type background and my love for neuroscience, which I've obviously mentioned a few times in our chat already, I do try and really make it practical and, and help people understand that change is hard and really give them practical tools and techniques to go through the process of being able to realize your full potential as a person, especially in your professional life. So yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. Thank you. And guys, I'll put all the links to those things that she mentioned in the show notes. And Dr. Penn, the last question that I ask everyone is, what is growth to you? Okay. I haven't (laughs) thought about this. Growth to me, let me think for a second. I think growth is essential if you are going to lead a good life in the fullest version of who you are, which I believe is really essential and my wish and dream for everybody to really embrace who they are wholeheartedly and live as that person. But in order to do that, you're continually going to need to be able to observe yourself and have self-awareness and uh, be able to really see where you may need to grow um, in various parts of your life. So it's like always being just into that stretch zone, just into the zone of discomfort to be able to to grow and, and flourish. I mean, a plant doesn't just stay as it is. It, it has its seasons. It, it goes from seedling. It, it needs, you know, different inputs. Um, sometimes it needs pruning and they need weeding. You need fertilizer in the soil. You need water. You need sun um, to really see it come into its own. So I think us as humans are the same. You don't just arrive and then do nothing. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to do it, but sometimes we have to face ourselves and push ourselves that little bit into that sort of zone of discomfort each and every day, little steps of courage um, to keep moving forward. Long rambling answer, but I hope it was. (laughs) I love that pushing ourselves into the zone of discomfort so that we can continue to grow. Yeah. Dr. Penn, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Lily. It was really great to be here. And yeah, thanks for having me.